Megan and I are so excited to share this behind-the-scenes peek into the making of our Women Who Travel Power List. But there's so much more waiting for you in the full article. From film directors to war journalists to wildlife ecologists, these women are reshaping the travel landscape and leaving a lasting impact on the world. Keep listening to hear more about why Megan and myself chose to highlight these 15 fascinating women. And head over to cntraveler.com today to explore the complete list and be inspired by their incredible journeys. And for a limited time, our listeners can unlock everything Traveller has to offer for just $5. Simply use code POD5, that's P-O-D-5, at checkout to access exclusive travel insights, breathtaking destinations, and invaluable tips to fuel your adventurous spirit. All for just $5. And remember, every adventure starts with just one step. Join us in celebrating the power of women in travel. Visit cntraveler.com today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. A lot of people spend a lot of money on things like skincare, fast fashion, and even surgery, all in the name of self-improvement. But as the price of perfection rises, when is it time to call it quits? I'm Rima Hreis, host of This Is Uncomfortable, a podcast from Marketplace. This season, we dig deep into the financial trappings of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone. You're listening to Women in Travel, a podcast from Connie Nast Traveler. I'm Meredith Carey, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Lala Erikoglu. Hello. This week, we're doing something a little different. As travel editors, we move around a lot, but this year has been different, and we've relied on the women we admire around the world to give us a glimpse of what's going on where they live. In this episode, we called up a few of those women based everywhere from Cancun to Tokyo to get a glimpse at what their life and travels look like right now. We talk about missing being on the road, finally having the time to explore where we live, and much, much more. First, Lale caught up with travel writer Julia Buckley, who we spoke to in an episode at the very onset of the pandemic, who recently relocated to one of the most visited cities in the world, Venice. I'll let Lale take it away. Hi, Julia. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. So the last time that you came on the podcast was pretty early on in the pandemic and you had gone through somewhat of a travel odyssey to get back to the UK from Uruguay. Talk me through how you were feeling when we last spoke now that you've had a little bit of time to look back on it. Oh, well, I don't even know where to start with that. I think I was in a very weird state of mind without really realising it. I hadn't quite realised what the next few months were going to be like, even at that stage. I was still kind of looking back at my trip and thinking how amazing it was and looking at the headlines of what was going on in Italy and how terrible it was there. And it hadn't really... We'd just gone into lockdown in the UK, I think, and it hadn't quite exploded here. And I still hadn't realised what was about to happen. So now I feel 
exhausted by the last few months. But I also feel like I'm coming out the other side now. And I feel like it's easier for me to see or to start guessing what travel is going to be like. I've just this week gone on my first trip since March and it's been really weird adjusting to it. So I've, I've started to kind of look to the future now instead of I spent the last few months being absolutely terrified, but it's kind of I'm coming out the other side. And so when you talk about taking this first trip, you're not actually in the UK right now, right? You went to Italy once the borders opened up and you've been there ever since, correct? Yeah. So one of my realisations during lockdown, and I think it was one of the things that made me realise it was bursting into tears on your podcast last time that I was on here, is just how much Italy has meant to me. It's my life and my beloved, basically, since I was a student, since I did Italian at university. And until now, going over there and traveling there all the time, like every month I would be there has been enough. And I would always be really sad going home. But then being separated from it for five months, I felt so heartbroken. It was like I was in a long distance relationship and we'd been separated. And it was awful. So yeah, as soon as the borders opened, I realized I needed to be there back in June. So as soon as we were allowed to fly in July, I just flew straight to Venice, have rented an apartment. And last week had an offer accepted on another little mini apartment, like the cheapest apartment in Venice. And I've spent all this week trying to sort out a mortgage, which is less exciting, but very exciting for the future. Wait, so are you saying that you in this time have made the decision to move to Italy? Uh, yes. <laughs> I haven't really talked about it yet or told people. I felt the minute that I got there, it felt like coming home. I felt so happy to be there. It's just, I walk out just to do the grocery shopping and I do the grocery shopping in an old theatre from the 19th century with all these frescoes on the walls. Just everywhere in Venice is just a dream and I've never ever lived anywhere where it's actually pleasurable to step outside your front door and go and do a really boring errand it's it's amazing I didn't realize that you could be so happy living in a place so yeah I'm staying obviously Venice is usually filled with tourists and is probably the only way that you've actually known Venice how are you getting to know the city now without those hordes of people what does it feel like to walk around well, it's definitely more empty than it normally is right now. But this is the thing about Venice is that it's always been like that. If you just go one block off the main street, there's always been empty streets, empty canals, places where you could be suddenly 500 years ago because there's no cars, no people, nothing. It's just you and the buildings. So I don't want to make myself sound like I'm not a tourist, I'm a traveller. But I think people who come for a couple of days haven't experienced that before because you're going obviously you're going to see the main sites and tick off the main sites but I think people who know it better it's more it feels more normal for them but it's definitely it's been interesting watching it change when I arrived in the middle of July it was completely empty and the main street going down St Mark's Square past the Rialto it was just me and five other people on it but now it's I think because everyone's been talking about how empty Venice is all summer everyone who can come has come and so now it's kind of rammed and now I'm getting totally Venetian and like, oh, these people are so annoying as I'm walking down the street. 
It's interesting because I feel like the impression I've got is that everyone in Venice, or the assumption that's being made is that everyone in Venice is like, we're so traumatized by the levels of over tourism, we don't want like those volumes of people coming back. Do you think that's the case? Or do you think that people do just want the money again? No, I think it's definitely the case because the problem with over tourism, she says, getting on her Venetian high horse as a local now. Um, <laughs> the problem with over tourism in Venice is that it's not the people who are coming and staying overnight and eating in the restaurants that's the problem. It's not the tourists like us who go and stay there and go and have a break in Venice. The problem is the people that come on day trips. And there are, I've forgotten the figures, but I think of the around 26 to 30 million visitors a year, I think about 16 to 20 million are day trippers. So those are the people that they don't want back. They don't spend any money, they leave their rubbish, so they're actually costing the city money. So they'd be really happy if they don't come back. But as for normal tourists, it's been really interesting talking to people because they all say, we don't hate tourists, we really love visitors. And Venice has been based for centuries on international trade and welcoming people who don't speak our language and showing them our culture. And we want to do that again. So this image of Venetians hating tourists, I think just... I'm not sure if it was ever true, but I really don't think it's true now. I think they don't like a certain type of visitor, as you wouldn't like someone that was that came to, I don't know, Fifth Avenue and just sat down on the sidewalk and started eating a sandwich. Like, nobody in New York would tolerate that, and that's what people do to them in their city. So they don't like that behaviour, but that's what's been amazing for me, finding how easy it is to fit in and how welcoming everyone is. I feel, I feel like an honorary Venetian already because everyone's just so friendly and welcoming and easy and sharing their, I don't know, their city with me. And it's like that for everyone if you just speak to them. I love that. And so you mentioned that you've just taken your first trip um, and, you know, you started to dip your toes into travelling around Italy a little bit now beyond sort of the obligatory social distancing, have you noticed any changes in your behaviour as a traveller? You, are you moving around differently? Are you paying attention to different things or prioritising different things? I would say I'm a lot more cautious. I'm a lot more wary. I've had to get two trains and one coach so far. And so I'm not doing what I would normally do, which is, I don't know, drink something and get my laptop out. So I guess it's made me more thoughtful like that. And I think if I went to a big city, which I'm not planning to do for a while, but if I did, I think I'd be a lot more cautious about where I went into. It's definitely made me appreciate it more. Even tiny things like the tea bags that I'm sitting next to in the hotel right now, in their little pot, and hotel toiletries. I didn't realise how much I'd miss them. <laughs> And just the idea that someone else has made the bed for me and I don't have to wash my towels and stuff. I'm clinging to that a lot more than I ever thought I would. Sort of looking ahead, which obviously is a very difficult thing to do right now. So tentatively looking ahead to 2021, what do you think your travel priorities are going to be and what do you hope to get out of that year? I think it all depends on whether there's a vaccine and I don't want to be a Debbie Downer about everything. But And I also say this with a caveat that I am high risk. Um, I had pneumonia and bronchitis and recurring nastiness last year. So I know that 
if I get this, I'll get it badly. I think I'm going to dial down my traveling a lot next year because I don't want to get it. Um, and I don't think things will have gone back to normal next year. And also I'm in a place where I'm traveling every day now, so I can travel around Italy. It's fine. I really, really wanted to get back to Uruguay where I was right before the lockdown and to Brazil where I was supposed to be going afterwards and Argentina. I'm not sure that I can see myself going to any of those places next year now because Uruguay and Argentina are being really good about not letting people in and Brazil, I just wouldn't want to go to right now. So I think I'm going to stay closer to home, enjoy here while there aren't so many people enjoying it with me. And I think, I think maybe I'll wind back to a point where travel is a massive, massive treat rather than an everyday thing of, oh God, I've got to get on this plane to go to this different continent today. Oh, it's okay. I'll only be there five days and then I can get home and see some friends and then I've got to go off to another place. And I think that will be quite, it's kind of scary. Um, someone said to me, oh, your life's changing massively. You're settling down and you're not going to be the same person anymore. And that's terrifying to think of it that way. But I think also I do want to be really responsible. And until this is under control everywhere, I don't, even if I feel safe, I don't want to be part of a movement of people hopping on a plane and traveling halfway across the world and potentially taking something to people whose healthcare system isn't as good. So I think... I mean, personally, I think it's everyone's responsibility to think like that. But I don't want to be part of a wave of the first people going to Bali or whatever. I'd love to go back to Bali, but it's not going to be next year, I don't think. Bali will be there way beyond 2021. It will. And when I finally make it, it's going to be so much better because I'll have been waiting for it for so long. I'm going to put my purity ring for Bali on and we'll, we'll see when, when it gets taken off. Uh, well, that feels like a very nice note to wrap things up on. If people want to follow your travels around Italy and get a peek at life in Venice, where can they find you on the internet? They can find me on Twitter at Julia the Last, but you can also follow Instagram for my Italian food business supporting farmers who were devastated by the pandemic. You can follow that on Instagram. That's Manja Per Bene, as I say in my best English accent. So M A N G I A P E R B E N E. And it means, it has lots of meanings, but it means eat for good, eat up, eat well, everything. Love it. And we will make sure to pop that in the show notes so you can find it there as well. And you can follow me along at Lale Hannah. Many put their hope in Dr. Serhat. His company was worth half a billion dollars. His research promised groundbreaking treatments for HIV and cancer. Scientists, doctors, renowned experts were saying, genius, genius, genius. People that knew him were convinced that he saved their life. But the brilliant doctor was hiding a secret. Do not cross this line that was being messaged to us. Do not cross this line. A secret the doctor was desperate to keep. This was a person who was willing to cold-heartedly just lie to people's faces. We're dealing with an international fugitive. From Wondery, the makers of Over My Dead Body and The Shrink Next Door comes a new season of Dr. Death, Bad Magic. 
You can listen to Dr. Death Bad Magic ad-free by subscribing to Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Wouldn't it be great to earn rewards on everything you crave, from gourmet to homemade? Now you can with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points on dining, takeout, and restaurant delivery, and two times points at grocery stores, grocery delivery, gas stations, EV charging stations, and streaming services. Learn how you can earn 20,000 bonus points, a $200 value, at usbank.com altitudego when you apply. Live every day your way with the Altitude Go card. Learn more at usbank.com altitudego. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc., some restrictions may apply. Next up, Lauren DiCarlo, Traveler's Director of Strategic Projects and a previous guest host on the podcast, chatted with travel writer Imani Bashir, who was on vacation in Malaysia in December when the coronavirus hit Wuhan, where she was living at the time. Since then, she's been trying to find a place to call home with her husband and three-year-old son traveling from the Czech Republic to London to the U.S. and finally settling in Cancun, Mexico, at least for the time being. She's had a whirlwind couple of months, but like the rest of us, she's figured out a way to make it work. So Imani, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. I know as a mom, time is not something we have a lot of, (laughs) so I really appreciate it. So tell me, you recently moved to Mexico. What is it like settling into a place, a new place during a pandemic? You know what? It's interesting because I feel like this is the first time we've actually settled because, you know, we lived in Wuhan Mm-hmm. And we had to tr- to make that transition from like not being able to get back into China, not being able to get our our things. So in the process from like January until now, we've been in like five countries, like making our way back wow. home, trying to figure out where we were going to go because we've been expats for years. My husband since 2013 and myself since 2015. So coming here, it actually, it's finally like, a breath of fresh air. Like I was explaining to my husband, I'm like, it's so interesting that like we can finally take clothes out of our bags. We've been living in Airbnbs (laughs) for months, Airbnbs, hotels. And so to actually, I'm like, wow, this is really like a form of self-care to actually put my underwear in the drawer. (laughs) It must be difficult though to get like a true sense of like the vibrations of a place when everyone is not fully 100% living out in the open, right? Yeah. Unless or or they or maybe they are there. I don't know what it's like there now. Well, here it's um, you know, it's so interesting because it's like coming from Asia and seeing how it is that, you know, we had to be there and and how things were so locked down and how, you know, from that side of the world, we're watching Americans and everybody's just going about their day and then jettison to now. We're like, wow, now America's completely like, oh, every, you know, still in lockdown and stuff. So Mexico, well, where we are specifically in um, Cancun, it's been pretty open. We still have Mm -hmm. to like, they don't allow like little children into stores like Walmart or or big supermarkets only um, over a certain age. Um, They still have, you know, mask policies. They take still taking temperatures, still have to hand sanitizer. So there's still that that luring of COVID-19 in the air, mm-hmm. you know, in some parking lots, they literally block out spaces so you can 
park every other parking space. And so there's, you know, there's still the fact that, you know, some things aren't open. And obviously I wasn't here like in the midst of when it was like really heightened here. And so we kind of came when it was a little bit more open. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, you can't get on the beaches. You can only go like possibly if you're staying at a resort. So there's still, you know, like stipulations. A lot of the um, archaeological sites aren't open. The tourist sites aren't open. And so, you know, it, it still has that linger of this pandemic, but it does still give us a sense of normalcy. Our community mm-hmm. is enclosed, it's gated, but it's so many expats and also Mexican families that live in here. So my son's made a ton of friends and they all speak different languages. And so, you know, it's just interesting to watch how the community has, you know, really come together. And it's it, it's just a yeah. good feeling. That's interesting because, you know, it seems like maybe the opposite of what I was saying before, like, you know, it's, it may be difficult to get a sense of what the city is like, but maybe it's somehow easier or uh, you get like a more authentic feel because there's not many tourists mulling about. Like it truly are, is the locals on the streets and. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's fantastic. Like, I mean, literally, we do go to the Walmarts. We do go to the like bigger stores, but. For the most part, like we love getting our tostadas like right on mm-hmm. the street corner. My husband literally just got some fajitas from a local guy who's like my my husband goes there very often. So it's like, you know, it's very communal. And like you said, you get that very localized feel of a place because you're not mm-hmm. jumping into just all of the tourist attractions and all of that stuff, which we've we've always been that way in all of the countries that we've lived. We're street food eaters. Like we love going to, you know, get the authentic food, not necessarily the sit down restaurants, but those, you know, those hole in the wall type mom and pop spots or just open grill outside. And so you know, we do have our key spots that we get fresh juice and fresh fruit and, you know, it's good. And it, and it feels it it feels enclosed a little bit. It feels like just our little corner of the world, even though obviously this is a big tourist destination. We haven't mm-hmm. felt the brunt of what it would probably look like normally around this time of year. So it feels really good to 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 feel like we've like been ingratiated into the neighborhood. That's amazing. What what is it like? I mean, I'm sure we could talk for hours about this, but what are what's it like being a mom right now, having just moved to a place, surviving a pandemic, <laughs> being a working mom? How, how are you? How are you managing? How are you holding up? You know, I'm doing much better now. Time management is something that's very non-existent to me. I don't know what that means. So we're still trying to work <laughs> on that, but. Thankfully, I mean, you know, my husband's been amazing. We've kind of had to flip-flop, whereas before he was, like, the full-time worker, I was, like, freelance Mm. writing. And then, you know, pandemic hit, it's like, boom, he's unemployed. I'm, like, you know, working full-time. And so he stepped up a lot as far as, like, being 24-7 dad and and just making Mm. sure, you know, keeping our son occupied and things of that nature. And we were able to find, like, a daycare that's open from, like, 9 to 1. So now we have that time to where he can go there and it's absolutely secure. They've done health checks every morning. He has to get, like, sprayed down with his little self and his little book bag. But um, it's completely sanitized and they're only allowed a certain amount of kids for, per classroom. And so it's, you know, it's, it's good now. But before it was so hard to explain to him, like, 
you know, certain things are closed because he's used to just going out and play or going to the pool. Like my son loves to swim. He's only three and a half, but he can swim the length of an adult pool. And so when we first got here, the pool was closed and he just didn't understand like, but it's right there. It's, it's I can <laughs> see it. What do you mean it's closed? It's right there. And yeah. so now we just kind of, you know, we, we've explained to him, you know, people are sick. And so, you know, we can't go to certain places because people are sick. And so that's been the mm-hmm. that's been the thing. And so he knows now to wear his mask. He's got his Mickey mask and he's got all different other characters. And so... Thankfully, like I said, you know, it's not as locked down here as it was when we first got here. And so now, you know, he can go swimming and he can, you know, do other activities to where he's not locked in the house. Because having a toddler and trying Mm -hmm. to, like, get work done and trying to eat and just do basic stuff, like take a shower. um, Yeah, it it can be very (laughs) tough. (laughs) Are you uh, are you thinking about traveling? Is that something that you're talking about doing you've already started doing like what does the fall winter look like so for us it's more so um just anything like in this Quintana Roo area so Mm -hmm. we've been to Playa del Carmen I've been to Tulum you know my husband and I we went to uh, Playa del Carmen we went to an an amazing resort there for his birthday just a couple of days um because my mom actually flew in so she was able to watch our son and so, you know, we're we're kind of keeping it as local as possible. I mean, although like Playa is like maybe an hour from here and Tulum is like about two hours. So, you know, we, we try to keep it like that as far as like possibly getting on another plane before December or January. Probably not. Um, I would say the only reason that we would we would possibly do that is to have to go and apply for our residency visas. Um, but other than that, I don't really foresee us making any like drastic trips, you know, anytime soon, anytime before 2021. Imani, this, uh, this feels like a good place to wrap up, but before we go, um, can you let everyone know where they can find you on social? Absolutely. Um, I'm at she is Imani B everywhere, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. That's at she S H E Imani I M A N I B. She is Imani B. And you can find me on all social media platforms. Say hello. Don't be afraid. That's so great. Um, and I'm Lauren DiCarlo. I'm L DiCarlo on Instagram. That's L D E C A R L O. Um, and thank you, Imani. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Then we traveled to Dakar, over Zoom, of course, with associate editor Megan Spirell, who chatted with Lead Lutumbe, a Dakar-based content creator who is usually jet-setting all over the world and sharing her travels on Instagram. But over the last few months, she's been taking the time to explore and appreciate Senegal and take care of her new kitten, Miso, who she recently rescued. Hi, Lee. Thanks for joining us from Dakar. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So to start, can you tell us a little bit about what the city looks and feels like these days? What is the sentiment in Senegal right now? Oh, Senegal, I will say so. I'm like I said, I'm in Dakar and it's a coastal city, very cosmopolitan. And the whole time throughout COVID, there was this strange element because it's such a busy city and there's so many people who live day to day. There's like markets. It's it's a very lively <laughs> place. And to kind of see it kind of get quiet and like buses no longer running, that was a little bit eerie. Nowadays, 
things are almost back to normal. Um, I think that the the government here has done quite a good job of um, managing things. And so, we, I mean, we're required to wear masks when we leave home. At one point during um, the height of the quarantine, um, there was like a curfew here. But now, you know, there's there's a semblance of back to normalcy. But of course, hand sanitizer when walking into into any establishment, masks are required and everyone seems to be perfectly fine with <laughs> wearing them here. And are you able to like go out to restaurants now and kind of really do all the normal things you usually do? Um, yes and no. So I want to say about only just this past weekend where the beaches officially opened up again. Um, restaurants, yes. Again, even though there isn't a huge element of that still happening here, I still like to kind of pay attention to like distance and all of that. But for the most mm. part, there really is a semblance of normalcy, which sometimes feels okay. But then other times it kind of feels like, hold on, you're actually too close to me. Could you take a step back? <laughs> <laughs> so... So, yeah, so it's it's um, on the day today, especially going back to grocery stores, it feels like normal because at the beginning it was so strange to see the long lines and like people. I mean, no one was hoarding toilet paper like it sounded like what's happening in a lot of yeah. places worldwide. But um, there definitely were people who were like stocking up and all of that. But now it's like you go to the grocery store. It's it's back to normal. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I've loved following you on Instagram for a while because it feels like, you know, before all this, you're always on the go. You know, you share photos of beautiful boutique hotels that you find in Tanzania or your trips to Morocco. But I feel like, I mean, from everything you just said, it sounds like the past few months have been a lot more, I mean, quite different. Um, have you been managing to do any kind of exploring beyond, you know, within your neighborhood or within the city? I have. So I, I have to say it's been, and I know there's a lot of problems around the world that are much bigger than this, but it has been quite a challenge because I genuinely love to travel and it I feel like my best self when I'm traveling. Mm -hmm. And so it's been an adjustment to say the least to kind of go from constantly being on the go to really having stillness. One of the main questions I got at the beginning of everything was, so how are you like wh what is your routine what is your routine how are you getting back into routine i'm like well my routine is travel so i don't i have to create a whole new one <laughs> I don't yeah know. i don't know i have to literally cultivate a new routine but i think that also having this stillness has also been great there's the other side of the coin of traveling all the time is you never really have a break and you you never really like really cultivate relationships where you're based and so that's been also a really positive outcome of you know not being able to travel is focusing on <laughs> building a life in one place which yeah. is not as easy to do as one would think <laughs> no <laughs> yeah. Um, locally, I've been doing a lot more exploring in like surrounding areas. So lucky for me, again, like we're on a coast and so we're also um, bordering on Mauritania. And so there mm -hmm. are some places that have desert. So there are places that I have been able to kind of go to safely. But at the beginning, there were... Um, limitations for how you could move from place to place now it's fine so I'll do like a long weekend here I took like a girl's trip things like that but mostly 
even though I'm taking um, trips locally, it's still not to the same extent. So if I go somewhere, I'm not exploring areas. I'm more so like booking a villa and like staying by the beach in a private space. So Mm -hmm. that is something that I normally wouldn't do, say pre-COVID, where I'm someone who really loves to kind of get into like the culture of the place and like mingle with people. And that's not really what I'm doing these days. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's an adjustment (laughs) for all of us. And I just can only imagine given the extensive travel you did before. But with these like smaller trips, you know, renting a villa and kind of exploring the coast, have you had any experiences that have really like stood out or at least been a nice glimpse of travel again during this time? Like, are there any trips in particular that you really enjoyed? So yes, I recently did two different trips. I did one with some girlfriends and then one with just like a group of friends. And it was really nice to discover because they were both in parts of Senegal that I hadn't been before. I went to uh, Popenguin and okay. as well as Nianing, and both of them are still coastal, but very, very quiet. So it's not as busy as the city where I live, and it's also a lot more green. So something about Dakar that doesn't really stand out until you live here is how much there is an absence of like green spaces and Mm. particularly with covid you really like of course we have the ocean and you know that is it's always nice to go to the beach but there's something about just being able to go to a park and read a book and just like see you know flower like gardens and all of that and so there isn't really a green space in dakar and so to go to both of um, Popengin and Yenning and see how lush and green they were along the coast, it was just so nice. Also seeing um, a lot of fishermen take their boats out to, um, you know, just like back to their day to day as well. Because the thing about, you know, I can talk a lot about how my life has shifted, but living in an area where there's so many communities that depend on day to day interaction with sales again in markets it's quite beautiful also for their benefit to see how they are able to go back to that normal and so you know watching watching the fishermen take their um pihogs which are like these massive canoe colorful boats out was just also very nice and cool and yeah i mean again i'm a lover of travel so even if i'm just like (laughs) traveling to the grocery store after being forced to stay at home all day it's just nice to kind of get out a bit How are you thinking about kind of carving out moments like that in the months to come where we are in this limbo where it's returning to normal, but people are unsure of when it'll be 100% back? Like, how are you thinking about spending the fall? Oh, that is, it's an interesting question for a few different reasons for me. So on the one hand, because my platform is so influenced by travel and my audience is primarily American, I feel a huge ethical obligation to be cautious the way I document travel because I don't want to kind of incite people to forget that this is a very real and serious thing. And yes, I am an American, but I'm living in a completely different country. And so the people consuming my content are mostly American. And I'm just always trying to straddle the fence of sharing hopeful and exciting content for them to be able to look forward to travel. But then also, I don't want to influence anyone to travel 
particularly in the U.S., where things are not are particularly in limbo. So that is that's very I'm very aware of that responsibility, and I'm trying to navigate that responsibly. Um, however, from a personal standpoint, I would like to explore traveling. Maybe I don't know if internationally or maybe even further away than where I've been traveling and maybe around maybe October, November, um, and just kind of seeing how that goes. I'm not sure, again, how my responsibility to be a positive reinforcement online, how that's going to play into it. Um, but it's something that I'm always thinking about and I'm always aware of. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure it's hard when you know, your travels are the content you create and produce and share with everyone. It must yeah. feel hard to kind of separate that from your personal life. But is there space for you to maybe take a trip and just and not post about it? You know, find a trip that feels responsible in the context of where Senegal's at right now and maybe just do it for you. Is that something you could see yourself doing? Oh, that's something I'm dying to do. I, I really, I mean, my happy place is Tanzania. Like I, I always oh. love to there's just something about being in Zanzibar that makes me feel at ease, makes me feel inspired. And I would go there with no camera, with no anything, just to be able to kind of feel like I'm being refreshed and rejuvenated because this year has been a lot. Yeah, <laughs> and again, trying to do that in a way that also doesn't put myself in harm's way as well as other people in harm's way. So it's, it's a strange thing, but... I definitely am eager to get back into the skies and into exploring and documenting the beauty of the world. <laughs> oh. Well, Liga, I think that's a pretty good note to end on. Where can people find you online? Thank you. Um, you can find me at Spirited Pursuit across all platforms. Um, and I'm at Sprelly on Instagram. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Hi, I'm Deborah Treisman, fiction editor of The New Yorker and host of The New Yorker Fiction Podcast. On the podcast, I ask a great contemporary writer to select a favorite story from the magazine's almost 100-year archive to read and discuss. Together, we delve into the story, exploring its themes, its style, and what makes fiction work. You can listen to authors like Otessa Moshfeg talk about why we write. Story, or attaching a story or creating a story is this inclination that we all have to stop spinning. And you can hear writers like George Saunders discuss the nature of storytelling. On the first read, you accept these things as descriptions and they make you see the scene, but every line is a chance to inflect the reader's mind. You'll discover new favorite authors and read old favorites in new ways. Episodes of the New Yorker Fiction Podcast are released on the first of every month. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. And finally, Meredith caught up with Honolulu-born, Tokyo-based creative Lindsay Arakawa, whose psychedelic Instagram illustrations have brought us plenty of joy these last few months. She's been using the travel pause to she's been using the travel pause to explore the capital city and perfect her Japanese. And like many of us, she's now grappling with holiday travel and what family visits will look like this year. I'll pass it over to Meredith to kick things off. I would love for you to just give us a snapshot of what your life looks like on a day-to-day -day basis right now. What are you doing in your free time? 
Yeah, so I feel like my day-to-day recently has been a little bit different than what it's looked like in the beginning half of the year, um, just because I had so much free time in the beginning half of the year that I wanted to do something with it because I'm a freelancer. So I signed up for these intensive language courses, which are in Japanese, obviously, because I'm in Tokyo, but it's every weekday from nine to 12. Um, So it's like three hours a day, five days a week. I'm in this intensive language course. um, And then afterwards, if I'm feeling lazy, I'll just like lay around, watch TikTok for the rest of the day. (laughs) Or if I want to be productive, I'll like get on my bike and ride to somewhere nearby to like run an errand or something. But pretty simple looking life right now, I think. What pushed you to enroll in the Japanese courses? Yeah, so there's a couple different reasons, I think. Um, When I initially moved to Japan, that was sort of like my big kind of goal that I wanted to achieve. I had taken Japanese language courses throughout my life, but it's a lot different when you're living in it and you're not in a classroom setting and you have to like learn how to gossip in a different language, you know, and like talk about, I don't know, like there being a bug in your food. Not that there are like bugs (laughs) in my food or anything like that, but you know, just like things like that, that you wouldn't ever think of, you know, before. And so A, I wanted that to, I just wanted, it was a major goal of mine when I first moved here, but then this is like, I'm coming up on my second year of being in Tokyo. And the longer I'm here, I thought like, in the beginning, I thought I could get away with, you know, like speaking more English, but that really isn't the case here that I'm finding, um, at least through my experience. And so like, especially because if I'm wanting to work with like local clients or go on interviews, like, you know, Japanese is a necessary must or it's like a required skill. So that's what kind of pushed me. Yeah. Um, the other thing you mentioned, your bike, having a bike has given me, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, but having a bike has given me so much freedom this year because I have Uh not had one before and being able to move about the city kind of on my own has been a real blessing, uh, especially when I'm not taking public transportation and everything else. What has that been like for you? Did you buy a bike because of the pandemic? Um, I had my bike from high school shipped from my parents' house. (laughs) (laughs) Simply because I can only get so far on my own two feet. Yeah, for sure. Um, Having a bike in Tokyo has been a major game changer for me just because I relied so heavily on the trains in Tokyo to kind of get me from point A to point B because they're so convenient. Like in the previous year that I lived here, but Tokyo is a really easy city to bike through, especially with the type of bike that I bought secondhand. It is called like a mama chari, which is like all the type of bike that all the moms ride around with like their kid in the front, the kid on the back. But I don't have any kids, but I mainly got it because it has an electronic battery that you attach to it. So it makes going up hills very effortless. <laughs> so it's been really great. Um, I just installed a basket on the front and the basket on the back so I can carry a bunch of things with me if I decide to go grocery shopping or something like that. Um, but yeah, it's been great. I, love I think it. I need I think I need to get baskets. That is yeah. my that's my downfall <laughs> right now is that my backpack is not quite big enough to fit the things that I need it to. Um so I've been following you on Instagram for a while now and it's been really 
nice um, while I've been staying in my home through everything that's been going on in the U.S. Mm. for me to be watching your stories while you're exploring Japan. How have you been traveling around and what has it been like for you to explore when there aren't the international tourists that would usually be there as well? So I only started to kind of like venture out recently, like in the beginning half of the year, like I don't think I left my house at all. Um, And I'm sure everyone can relate to kind of like how stir crazy you go, but that's just like what we have to deal with at the moment. But Japan as a country itself has kind of like started to loosen up on a lot of the restrictions. Um, And they even put into place something called a go-to like travel campaign, which encouraged kind of like locals to go to different parts of Japan to help like revitalize the economy in different cities. Um, So they would like pay, I think, for like a percentage of all of your travel fees, which was really nice. In the beginning, it didn't really apply to Tokyo because we had like the highest like case numbers. But I think in October, so now, maybe the last time I checked, um, it applies to people who are currently based in Tokyo. But it's been interesting because... It is nice that there aren't a lot of tourists everywhere. Like, where I live in Tokyo is very close to Shibuya. Like, it's maybe, like, a 15-minute walk for me or 10 minutes. And so not having the crowds around has been really nice. <laughs> Just because Shibuya Crossing or Shibuya Scramble can get so, hev- like, so dense, I guess. Like, it's or it's normally very dense. And so seeing the city a little bit more cleared up has been really nice to kind of just, like, see from my bike and like ride around and stuff and uh recently my partner and I went down to Kyoto just as like uh we want to see it when it's not super duper packed with tourists because it's a major like travel spot I think whenever whenever anybody comes to visit and we also rented bikes when we were down there so we kind of avoided all public transportation and that was really nice to kind of just see the city when there weren't tourists every which way you look (laughs) What did you guys prioritize seeing when you were in Kyoto? What was like on your must see, must must eat list probably being (laughs) (laughs) the key question? Yeah, it's a little strange. I mean, like kind of, or it felt very weird. And it was something that we talked about like a couple days in into like our trip there where we were like oh you know like vacations are meant to feel very like relaxed but I kind of feel on edge the entire time because you know like we weren't going to restaurants that we would have normally have gone to you know like if there wasn't like a global pandemic because we always tried to eat somewhere that was like we could sit right by the door that was opened or like a window that was open or like somewhere that was outside so we never like we couldn't go to a lot of the bars or like the restaurants that we had on our list which is fine you know I think it's kind of just nice in itself that we get to kind of like go outside of Tokyo still but initially we had planned to go see all the like the major tourist spots like Kinkakuji which is the golden temple or like Fushimi Inari temple um, which is it has all of these like golden or like red gates that lined up just like the super hot tourist spots but we went on a four or five day weekend and I think everybody else in Japan had the same plan as us (laughs) and so it ended up being a little bit more crowded than we expected so we ended up avoiding the super touristy areas and luckily enough there was a photo festival that got pushed back from the springtime called Kyotography 
um, to the weekend that we were there. And so we just rode our bikes from like the different locations to kind of see the different art installations, which is really nice. And we got lucky. (laughs) Speaking of photography, we talked to a photographer who's currently in Bali about this a couple Mm -hmm. months ago now at this point. Um, But you know, we talked to her a lot about how she's been able to stay creative during this time, because I think that it's a brain drain on all of us just to exist in the world right now. Um, How have you been able to stay creative and keep photographing, illustrating, working in the way that you do on your artwork? I mean, I can only speak from my own experience, but I didn't want to create anything like at the beginning half of the year. And like, a lot of the stuff that I put on on my Instagram is are like very kind of like personal feelings that I'm feeling at the moment. And, you know, a lot of the time it ends up being kind of like things that I would say to myself to kind of motivate myself in that moment or make myself feel better about something terrible that had happened, like a shitty day or something. Um, and I just wasn't sort of feeling that same sort of positivity in the beginning half of the year, which is fine, you know, um, but that kind of like put a pause on, um, what I was creating and how I was creating. And so this year has been interesting because I think a lot of the time where I get my inspiration from is when I'm able to kind of like go out and travel and see different parts of Japan But going down to Kyoto was really nice and getting to kind of like get out of the house, I think, for a little bit. But yeah, I don't know. It's been kind of just like a weird slow year for my creative brain, I think. I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Under the circumstances. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I think in many ways, just going back to, to travel being part of the inspiration, you know, I think you can move around Asia in a very similar way that you can to Europe you know, you can visit a different country in a two-hour flight, um, which is not really an option for those of us who are in the States. Looking forward to the next year or just dreams that you've been having over the last six, seven months, what does travel look like for you outside of Japan? Are there any places that you are really wanting to go to for to maybe kickstart that inspiration and Creativity. Yeah, what a luxury to like think about traveling. But I think um, what I'm most like upset about at the moment is I. So I'm originally from Hawaii, and my entire family is back there, except for my younger brother who currently lives in Colorado. So like every year around the holidays, I've gone home because I left home around like 18 to go to college on the mainland in San Francisco. And then from there, I moved to New York and then now I'm in Tokyo. So I haven't lived in Hawaii for maybe like 12 years now. But every year, except for one year, I've gone home for the holidays. And so this year, I don't think or I'm not planning on going home, um, which makes me really sad because, you know, my grandparents are in their 90s. Um, I want to be able to spend time with my family when I can, because that's the one time a year I do go home um, and kind of like check in on my Hawaii friends and family. But because of like the travel restrictions and like quarantining and my partner will usually like come back with me um, to Hawaii. But his job is like, I don't think like the two weeks in quarantine there and two weeks in quarantine here makes a lot of sense. Um, And especially because my grandparents are so old, I would feel very weird about like seeing them. 
And so, yeah, I don't know. That's something that I'm kind of upset about at the moment because I won't be able to go home to Hawaii for the holidays. But I think like in the future, like my friends and I always like kind of just to like keep us going light at the end of the tunnel. Um, we li- really love Korea, South Korea. And so we want to and the flight is maybe like two or three hours from Tokyo. And so we really are like, we're going to go to South Korea <laughs> when this is all kind of like safe to travel again um, and eat a bunch of Korean food, drink, drink lots of soju go shopping that's all we want to do (laughs) but that's like the major plan right now yeah sounds like kind (laughs) of the perfect vacation post all of this just soju and shopping i love it i know yeah (laughs) and just like listening to k-pop everywhere i go i just like i need that (laughs) um where can people find you on social media if they want to keep up with what you're doing yeah i mean i mainly post what I'm eating on Instagram throughout the day on my stories. Um, but my Instagram handle is at Blinzy, not Blindsay. It's Blinzy. It's B-L-I-N-D-S-A-A-Y on Instagram. I've never done one of those before, so that was fun. Perfect. <laughs> um, you can find me at Oh Hey There Mayor. And thank you so much for uh, chatting with me. Yeah, of course. A big thanks to Imani, Lee, Lindsay, and Julia for joining us in this episode. If you liked it, be sure to let Lale or I know in our DMs or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can find more Women Who Travel content by following us on Instagram at Women Who Travel or by subscribing to our newsletter, which will be linked in the show notes. We'll talk to you next week. The Oscars are almost upon us, which means now is the time to start catching up on all of the buzz from this year's award season. I'm Katie Rich. I'm one of the hosts of Vanity Fair's Little Gold Men podcast. Every week, we cover the ups and downs of the Oscar race, from Barbenheimer to the Golden Globes controversy, and much more. We also have weekly interviews with some of the year's biggest contenders, like Emma Stone, I mean, that's how you know you really love and trust and respect someone is that we can absolutely fight. Paul Giamatti. It's like, holy (laughs) He just nailed the (laughs) out of that, sorry. And America Ferreira. It's like people standing around for hours just waiting to, like, be a part of this cultural moment. Whether you're a Hollywood insider or just want to win your office's Oscar pool, listen to Little Gold Men, available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now.